In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Keep that open so they can hear. Let's keep it open. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Our reflection this morning once again comes from the very beginning of this blessed Mass on the third Sunday of Lent from the introit, which we heard the choir sing. Once again, the introit is always based in the Psalms, and again today it's based on Psalm 25. But this part, this introit, the words we were given to consider when we heard them, are from a different part of Psalm 25 that we looked at last week. And you're going to hear the words when I read them to you. You're going to hear the words of one who is lamenting and grieving in sorrow over their current condition. And they are seeking the Lord's deliverance, healing, and redemption from that very situation, that very condition of life. The words sung were this. My eyes are looking to the Lord, for He shall pluck my feet out of the net. Look upon me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and in misery. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And last week, this lifting up of the soul that we talked about, we looked at it being our necessary approach to God in times of the fierceness of the battle of our thought life, right? Our temptations, our thoughts to lift our soul to God. And this week, we look to this very similar prayer to be lifted out of the net. The net indicates captivity, by the way. One who is caught in a net is in bondage to be lifted up out of the captivity and restored, brought back to a far greater existence. And we're going to see how we approach God in this manner. How we approach God regarding the fallenness that is still in our soul, that we inherited from the fall of mankind, the illness of our soul and all that it produces. The ways that we have fallen short of our most true identity, our most true self, which is the Christian definition of sin, not fracturing a rule. Sin is anything less than we were created to be when the Spirit was breathed life into us in the garden in the very beginning, created there in the very image of God to grow in His likeness. And the result of the fallenness that's still within us, that sin is a life lived experiencing the very words you heard the psalmist say, an experience of desolation within our soul in this life, an experience of misery. The result of the illness of the soul left unhealed produces this experience. Our sin holds us in that kind of great captivity to misery within our whole being, our body, our mind, our soul. And we have a Savior who longs to lift us up out of that pit, or as the psalmist said, lift us up out of that net, out of the bondage to this experience of desolation and misery, and grant us an existence that's the exact opposite as if He pulled us right side in, made us whole again, 
going from the experience of sorrow to the fullness of joy and contentment. But I want you to hear this. How we see ourselves, how we view ourselves, is so critical to walking in the blessed repentance that leads us to the healing work of our Savior and lifts us up where our sorrow can be turned to joy. And I tell you this, seeing ourselves rightly, seeing ourselves with clarity, is precisely what Satan does not want us to be enabled to do. Because if we were to see ourselves clearly, if we were to see ourselves, even the dysfunctions and the fallenness within us, clearly through God's eyes, it would move us to rush to Him, to lay that very illness before the healer, the great physician of our souls and bodies, that we might receive the touch from the one who is mercy, if we saw ourselves correctly. And so does our enemy Satan do. He constantly is tweaking that fallenness within us, he is trying to numb us with all the distractions that He can throw at us so that we don't allow the Holy Spirit to reveal in us where there is still fallenness. Sometimes it's because in our own flesh, in our own weakness, sometimes it's because we're scared to death at what we might see. We fear what we might not truly see is so deeply rooted within our souls, and so we give ourselves over to these numbings. These distractions which prevents us from letting the Holy Spirit unearth and show them, bring them to light. My friends, when they're brought to light, only then can they be healed. And our enemy does not want us to see that. We're deathly afraid of what we might see. Or when we do look and have a good look inside our soul, Satan wants to put such goggles over our eyes that when we look at our fallenness within, and when we look at the damage in our soul, the illness of, of our soul produced by the fall and everything that's come from it, those broken goggles have us look at ourselves with extreme and intense unholy shame. That shame that looks inward and says, I can't come to you, God, because there's no way you can forgive this. It's the same deceit as in the Garden of Eden. We do the same thing as Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve fell short in sin, God came to them and He called out to them. His voice said, Adam, where are you? I'm here. You come to me. But what did Adam do? He hid in the shame of his sin. We do this all the time. And I've said it before, the church fathers are pretty sure, though you can never draw a perfect conclusion, that had Adam and Eve gone to God as he called out to them, they may have been mended. Because what we know about a God is that of those who come in repentance to him, they discover that he is mercy. And he covers them. But they hid and we do the same. Like Adam falling to that deceit of heaven, we hide in our shame. And so we stay unhealed and continue in that bondage of misery and desolation. And I tell you that every one of us on a daily basis sometimes gives in to one or two or both of those deceits of Satan who doesn't want us to find healing. 
So how should we see ourselves clearly, correctly, in our frailties and brokenness, the illness of our soul, so that the true repentance that leads to salvation, and what is salvation? Being made whole again. How shall we see ourselves that would lead us to repentance that where we find healing? I go to the words of St. Paul in his second epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 7. I briefly mentioned this a few weeks ago. Today we dive into it because we need to. St. Paul says this, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance, which yields itself to salvation, are being made whole again. The sorrow of the world leads to the death of the soul. First, as we look at these two, let's identify all of us where we engage more in the sorrow of the world over our condition. And from there, I pray that God will help us see clearly the appropriate sorrow that every Christian should have over what is within them, which is godly sorrow. The church fathers speak about the sorrow of the world in two ways. At least two ways. There's probably more I haven't seen yet, but I've seen two. One is they see this sorrow of the world like the rich young ruler who, who loved his riches more than he loved God. And could not give them up. You remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus responded with a number of things in the law. And the rich young ruler, almost as if wiping his brow, says, thank God I've done those things. Ah, but then Jesus looks at him deeper into his soul, knowing this, his, his precious creation. And he says, now. Go and sell all that you have, all of your riches. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And we're told that sorrow filled the rich young ruler. His sorrow was not godly sorrow. His sorrow was the sorrow of his own greatly built up idolatry. It was the sorrow of what he loved more than salvation. What he loved more than the God of salvation. And so he went away sorrowful and our Lord was sorrowful over him. So many times that the fathers say this when the Lord shows us something. OK, now it's illuminated. The question comes to us is, will we now lay it down before the feet of the healer? Because if he shows it to us and we don't, it shows us a reality that we love that fallenness. <clears throat> And we have joined ourselves so to that fallenness that we love it more than God at this stage of the game in our lives. That is sorrow of the world that leads to death of soul. Another way that the church fathers talk about the sorrow of the world is when Christ illuminates what's in us and we see it. Uh, we get into what I talked about just a moment ago in that intense and unholy and unrighteous shame. The sense of extreme unworthiness, unhealthy unworthiness, and worthlessness, which leads itself to hopelessness. When we see ourselves through that lens, we have such a despair within us over the things that we have done in our lives. We look at the things and we see the horror, horrors that have come from the illness of our soul. 
and we remain captive to those things. We bow to them. We give ourselves over to them. And the reality is, in those ways, shame has become our identity. Shame has become our identity. Because we can't get over what we've done. And we get deceived to thinking that the Lord cannot undo those knots of the burdened conscience. Of everything that's been done. Those two things are sorrows of the world that St. Paul is talking about according to the fathers. And they lead to death. The sorrow of the world is not of God. It is not born of God. It has no place in the life of God's precious recreation, the Christian. The one who is filled with his Holy Spirit so that they could be made whole from all those things done in the flesh from the results of the fall. You see, it leads to death. So what about this godly sorrow? That produces repentance which leads to our salvation as the blessed apostles said our being made whole. I want to put this simply at first and then talk more about it. I want you to think, we need to think of the truth that godly sorrow is nothing different than God's own sorrow over our current condition. I'm going to say that again. Godly sorrow that the Christian should live in is God's own sorrow over the brokenness within us and what that brokenness is doing to us. And godly sorrow, the sorrow of God is rooted in His compassion and it is rooted in His mercy. And we've talked many times of various examples of seeing that compassion in action, looking at what it is. I give you just a reminder to lock into what is, look to see what God's sorrow is over what I'm going to bring to the table here. How about we take the lepers that came to Jesus? God never created man to deal with leprosy in his body, in his skin. And it is a horrendous, most suffering disease. It is a far lesser condition than God created man to be in in paradise. And when the lepers came to him, within him welled up sorrow, a holy mourning over the condition of the men that were before him in those moments. And from what welled up in him, this, this sorrow that is God's over their condition, he was moved to act on their behalf and he touched the untouchable. You think your sin can't be forgiven and that the mercy of God cannot be extended into the depths of everything that you've done. God touches the untouchable. And he will reach into that just as he did with the leper. And he touched the untouchable and their disease rapidly went away in their skin. And those lepers, their sorrow, the sorrow over their condition that they brought to him honestly, they knew their condition and they brought themselves longing for that mercy and he acted and he turned their sorrow into joy. What about the adulterous woman? The one who'd lived in this spiritual and physical sin throughout much of her adult life. She gets caught red-handed, brought to the temple and all the men have stones in their hand. And they bring her to Jesus. 
And Christ our God, with the same sorrow over the condition of this woman and what all of that sin that welled up from the illness of her soul produced in her life and brought her to this very point, the woman who deserved justly to be put to death according to the law of God. What does our Lord do with all his authority from that compassion and his holy mourning over her condition? With authority, he casts away every accuser, every accuser, as he will cast away your accuser when he comes to you. The one that keeps pricking all those things that you've done in your life, saying, don't stop looking at this. Don't you understand what you've done? Just as Satan casts away the accuser from this woman, all the accusers from this woman. And then what does he do? The one who justly should be punished, he releases from her captivity with the forgiveness of her sins and telling her and gracing her. Because he never tells someone to do what he does in grace. Go and sin no more. And this woman's sorrow was turned to joy. All those people I mentioned to you a couple times in the last three weeks, that whole crowd, the mob that followed Jesus around the Sea of Galilee to get to him when he was trying to get away on a boat to be alone, all of them were physically sick, spiritually sick, emotionally dysfunctional. Each one of them were in a lesser condition, and that's why they were so desperate to get to him, because they knew he had that compassion. He had that mercy. They'd seen it on the other side of the lake. He just hadn't gotten to them yet. So they walk all the way around the lake. And what does our Lord do? He looks at them and he aches over their condition. This is God's sorrow. He's not mad at them because they're less. He aches over them because of what their condition is doing to them. And out of that compassion, we're told that he healed every one of them. And their sorrow was turned to joy. How does Christ, our God, see us? How does He see us in our current condition? How does He see you in the illness of your soul, your falling short, your sin? Not with a mindset to increase the guilt trip upon you for all that you have done. Not to bring shame into your life. And certainly not with the hope that man, now I get to pour out some punishment. This is not our God. He looks at your brokenness. And he mourns with a loving and holy sorrow over not only your current condition, but the experience that that condition, all those unhealed parts deep within, he mourns over what it's doing to you. And this is the same God that looks at that and also at the same mind sees completely what you can be with the touch of his loving healing hand. If you'll come to him. This is a God whose greatest desire is to take your sorrow and turn it into his joy. If we join him in his sorrow for us, we will join him in his joy over us. The beginning of true repentance. True repentance, that St. Paul says, leads to the salvation of our soul is twofold. One, we allow Christ, our God, by his Holy Spirit, to shine the light into the darkness so that we can see with his eyes what he sees, so that we can feel what he feels, so that we can sorrow. And that's the second part. We not only see what's in there, but we ask God, share with me your heart over this. 
Share with me your holy and loving morning. Share with me your sorrow. Let me be joined to it. Because as we are, we pick what we've seen up and we run to him. And we lay it at his feet because we know the God and how he sees us. We're not afraid of him. We're most in need of him. And we know what he can do for us. I close with the words of St. Basil the Great. I shared this on Wednesday's noon mass. I share it again. And if I were wise, I might share it by email every day for the rest of your lives. <laughs> bother you until you get this. St. <laughs> Basil the Great says these incredibly beautiful words of truth about our God and us. The joy of God is not found in just any soul. But if anyone has mourned much and deeply his own sin with loud lamentations and continual weepings, as if he were bewailing his own death, in other words, joined to godly sorrow with the tears and lamentations of God over the condition of our souls. St. Basil goes on to say, that one, the mourning of such a one, is turned into joy. The mourning garment which he put on when bewailing his sin is torn and the tunic of joy is placed around him and the cloak of salvation. We bring God's own mourning within us, about us, back to himself and he will tear that garment to pieces and he will clothe us with the clothing of his joy. May it be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.